have to throw a spoilers in here somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Spoilers. must be stopped. It's up to Aang the Avatar to do it. Suko shoots his fire blast. Aang is too quick and fires an air blast. Once again, Aang has triumphed over Suko. Air cannon Aang and fire blast Suko each sold separately. Hello, this is Bloopcast. I'm Ewan. I'm Rob. And I'm James. But the question is, why are we the Bloopcast? Yes. yes! Yes! Before we get started, just want to acknowledge... Yes, that was a new theme tune you heard at the start of this episode. After 10 episodes of not having a theme tune, I decided it was time to have, oh, I um, just threw it together in an afternoon, and I think it sounds quite good. Yeah, yes, good yeah. Very good job. <laughs> really cute. Um, so today, like I've said at the end of the last episode, we are talking about one of my top three favourite TV shows of all time, and a show that's widely regarded to be one of the greatest animated shows, not just of the last kind of decade, but of all time, which is Avatar The Last Airbender. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah, a great show with one of the most bizarre names of all time, because... I remember when the movie came out, and it was just called The Last Airbender. There was a movie? There was a movie, um, and they, they removed the, the thing Avatar. I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but they removed, the, they removed the Avatar, so it was just called The Last Airbender, and Airbender is just such a weird title. <laughs> so we, I feel like we need Blame to explain... Cameron. We need to explain to people, like, what... What the hell is going on? Why is it called Avatar The Last Airbender? Oh, wait, I thought, I thought um, we were doing it on the movies. I've been watching the wrong thing. Oh, my God. <gasps> no, okay, stop recording. Jake, no, no, I'm... <laughs> go and watch six episodes of Avatar, then come back. Oh, Are you talking no. about the blue monkey one or the or the, <laughs> or the white one? Wait, wait, no, no, no. I thought we were talking about my Wii Avatar. Oh yeah, this is the whole thing talking about the me channel from the week. <laughs> oh my god. This, this conversation is already off the rails. I'm sorry. <laughs> my fault. Should I go into what the hell airbending is and everything else? Because yes, I know a lot of people have seen the show, but a lot of people won't have. So I've got a little synopsis here that I'll, I'll read out because it's, it's, it's quite complicated. Um, but here we go. So Avatar is set in a world, a fantasy world, where there are four elements that people can learn to control in a form of magic. So bending is basically magic, but it's like it's element bending. So you can water bend, earth bend, air bend and fire bend. This allows you to magically control those elements around you. So you have these four nations represented by each element. So you've got the fire nation, the earth nation, the water tribes and the air nomads, and the idea behind the Avatar is that they're this powerful being who can master all four elements, and their job is to keep the world in balance between the four. So the main premise of the show is that the Fire Nation decided to 
go conquesting one day, and they went around and built an empire and conquered the other nations. We follow the adventures of Aang, the Avatar, and the last airbender, because the Fire Nation wiped out the air nomads. So we follow his adventures with two water tribe characters, Katara and uh, Sokka, as they go on adventures for Aang to learn the other elements besides just airbending, and uh, eventually defeat the Fire Nation. And... Uh, throughout all of this, they're hunted by a young Fire Nation prince called Zuko and his lovable uncle Iroh. And that's the premise. <laughs> Iroh's the best. Yeah, you, well. you've summed it up pretty well. Water. Earth. Fire. Air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then, everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. As always, I'll take Liz to discuss how we discovered Avatar. When I was about 11, I was on holiday in Florida with my family, and while I was over there, I kept seeing adverts for a new episode of, of the show that was premiering on a Friday. I think my memory seems to think it was the one with Haru and the Earthenders who were being imprisoned on the prison ship, based on what I saw in the advert. I don't think I watched it while I was over there, but I definitely remember the advert vividly because it was on like all the time through like the time I was there. And I think what's interesting about this is the show hadn't started in the UK yet because it was about like, because um, this is back in the time when the show would start in the US and then like months later it would start in the UK. So, which happened like six months later, but it was confusing to me because when I saw the advert in America, it was called Avatar The Last Airbender. But over here, it's called Avatar The Legend of Aang. Ah, oh, weird. It's not as dumb as, like, um, what's it called? Beast Wars being called Beasties in Canada. But it was, I think it's probably because for European markets, they change the name of shows to so it's easy to translate for, like, foreign markets. Because um, Batman Beyond is called Batman of the Future. Um, okay. for that reason so I think it's probably right. something like that yeah I saw bits and pieces of Avatar over, over this um, but it wasn't until I was 14 when I properly sat down and tried watching it when I thought like, the first like 10 or so episodes were put up onto BT Vision's on demand service and around this time I was starting to get into anime particularly Naruto for some reason oh. I don't know I did enjoy what I saw of Avatar but I didn't latch on to it as I felt it was more ki- quote unquote kiddie in comparison yeah. to Naruto, which, in comparison, had more violence and gore, which, at 14, was my hallmark for kind of more, quote-unquote, adult material. And this is all I'm running, because Avatar is now one of my favourite shows ever, and I couldn't give less of a crap about Naruto. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Even the Naruto yeah, I run. <laughs> I gave it another go when I was about, like, 1920s. I heard a lot of people talking about Avatar in like, a really high regard, and this was when it kind of clicked. I was like, shit, this show is actually really good. 
Um, yeah. I don't know why I didn't end up finishing it. But yeah, I finally watched the show for about two or three years ago because I decided to ask for the Blu-ray box set for my birthday that year. And I then spent the next three weeks like, watching the entire show. And the more I watched, the more I grew to love it. And by the time I was like, near the end of like season two, I was like... Yeah, this is one of my top three favourite shows of all time. The other two being Reboot and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's my story. I was going to ask you what your other shows were. <laughs> so, mm. we'll need to do Buffy eventually as well. Yeah, and Reboot. Reboot's going to be eventually as well. Yeah, of course. No one knows for sure, but I intend to find out. Reboot! James. Yeah. How did, you, how did you discover the the bending of air? Um, well, <laughs> when you word it like that, I don't know how to answer. Um, so I was, this is probably actually going before I was in high school, I watched a lot of Nickelodeon and stuff like that. And if I'm perfectly honest, I did see it on TV, the first episode I saw on TV, and I just was not interested. I didn't know what was going on. I wasn't interested in anime so much back then. I did get into anime, and just like Rob, I did end up watching Naruto. I watched like 50 episodes of it and gave up, because it was just rubbish. And everyone kept telling me, you know, it gets better and better, but it doesn't. Hey, this is quite recent, because I actually only got into Avatar about a year ago, during the first lockdown, I want to say. Um, and I was kind of bullied into watching it a little bit, so like people would always kind of be like, oh, how have you not watched this? You're an animator. Oh, yeah. It's like with Adventure Time as well. They're like, oh, how have you not seen this cartoon? God, you'd be thanking us when you watch this cartoon. So I watched it to shut them up, basically. Um, and it worked. But I enjoyed it. I binged it all <laughs> during my furlough period. Um, uh, I like, I mean, it was, it was good. I liked it, and uh, I jumped onto Quora as well. I currently have a Avatar bookmark with a penguin on it as I'm reading James Joyce's Ulysses, so, yeah, that's kind of my story. I just got um, bullied into watching it, really. I remember when you watched it, um, very early on, you messaged us the clip of uh, Aang just shouting out, PENGUIN! And, oh, yeah. uh, and you were like, oh my god! And that was like your favourite moment. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, that's the best moment in the whole show. It's the penguin from yeah, Avatar. Yeah, yeah. Also the penguins, can I just say quickly, the penguins look interesting. They're like a, a cross... Hang on, let me get a picture. I've got a picture of it. Yeah, it's like a... Cross... Yeah, because that's the thing I love about... One of the things I love about Avatar, all mm. the animals in Avatar are mix, a mixture of two different animals. They're not even... So they're kind of like penguins and mixed with otters. I think. Yeah, penguins aren't even birds in this universe. They're like, they've got an otter face. Penguin! He's kidding, right? Similar to you guys, I watched a bit of Nickelodeon and Nicktoons stuff when I was at my grandparents' house because they had Sky TV. Uh, but that was the only place I was able to watch watch it so it was only during the summer and stuff but i never i never watched avatar it was, i watched th more things like spongebob and stuff like that uh on, on nickelodeon i'm trying to remember what i watched on nickelodeon was yeah, drake and josh nickelodeon yeah it was actually drake and josh was nickelodeon along with like yeah i watched Harley. i watched drake and josh um uh, I, I never watched iCarly. i did watch drake and josh though did you watch the um Rugrats? did watch the rugrats uh, yeah, yeah um but yeah i never i never really saw avatar i saw adverts for it but i think 
I was always a little, I think what I liked about shows like Drake and Josh and Spongebob is that you could kind of just dip in whenever you wanted. You didn't have to worry about following a long series because I wouldn't be able to watch them when I was with my grandparents because uh, I wouldn't have time. I think I mentioned this before, but I had the horror story of watching the Jackie Chan TV show. And literally, when the final, like, big episode happened, I missed it. Because yeah. <laughs> it was, you know, I just wasn't able to watch it that morning. And that's really upsetting as a kid, is that when you, you don't get to watch the show that you've been literally building up this whole time. I was a little hesitant to watch it, and then I just never watched it. And then years later, you always saw people talking about it, like people would reference both Airbender and Legend of Korra. So Korra's the sequel series, for anyone who doesn't know. But um, and And yeah, I knew about the movie coming out because it was... Uh, uh, famously terrible to the point that it no longer exists. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so I, I never really followed any of it, but then Rob, you were telling me a lot about it, and then of course, the first time I watched it was at Rob's house. Uh, Rob and I watched a bunch of episodes of Reboot, and then I watched the first couple episodes with Rob uh, of Avatar, and that was really cool. It was a cool, cool to see it from, you know, kind of with through Rob's eyes, I guess, uh, as, as a big fan. So I enjoyed that, and then I didn't really watch it, because again, I, I just I, I didn't think to watch it, or I didn't have time, and then lockdown happened, and I had a lot of time. So, yeah, I then, I think it was all on Netflix. Yeah, I think it was all yeah, on Netflix, so I, I watched it. Netflix then. over lockdown, so... Yeah, yeah my first proper experience was, was, uh, was lockdown viewing i remember some nights i was on my own and just yeah just watched a few episodes of avatar yeah. in the living room it was a good time yeah <laughs> I, I remember uh, you and james were watching it around the same time so i remember um you got you guys were supposed to talking about stuff that was happening and i remember you and i was like holy shit you're watching it so quick you might overtake james at this point mm. oh, I, I think i did yeah so there we go and and there's a lot oh, god there's a it's so like, kind of like the Simpsons, to, like, there's lots of stuff, lots to go yeah, over. I think I've written more notes for this one episode than I have for any other episode we've done so far. One reason I love this show as much as I do is uh, the same reason why I love shows like Reboot and Gargoyles, as well as some of the shows we've done episodes on previously, like Batman, Beast Wars and Samurai Jack. As in, they are like the best kinds of shows for kids, as in they don't talk down to their audience and like tell compelling stories, and because of this... These shows managed to find an audience beyond their target demographics, so they attract like, adult fans as well as, as of course, the kids that are the main target demographics. So there's a clear difference between something like Avatar and something like, say, Johnny Test. I did kind of forget that it was made for kids. <laughs> <laughs> like, you, you kind of, you kind of get invested in it, and and it's a it's an interesting story that kind of speaks to. Not just kids, but but adults as well. There's a lot. There's a lot of themes in it that are quite, you know, they're, they're not child friendly per se. Like you don't you don't have to worry about a kid watching Avatar. But you know, like some of the stuff in it is quite. I wouldn't say dark. It's adult basically. There, there's a lot. There's a lot mm. of stuff going on. Well, it's definitely like a fleshed yeah. out story with like characters and stuff and things like you know death and all that are quite a real thing in this universe. It's mm. um, and the stakes are high as well. Yeah. Not afraid to dip into darker territory because, like, like third episode of the show, uh, Anne goes back to like the air temple, which is where he grows up, and finds out that the Fire Nation wiped out all the air nomads. And during this, he finds the corpse of who was his closest friend, um, which is like Monkey Yatso, 
So that was quite dark. And then yeah, at the end of the first season, we get... Dark. And even then, at the end of the first season, we get a monster that steals people's faces. My old friend, the Avatar. It's been a long time. You know me? How could I forget you? One of your previous incarnations tried to slay me. Maybe eight or nine hundred years ago. I didn't know that. Why did he or I try to kill you? Oh, it was something about stealing the face of someone you loved. I love of course, the big one is the... The big one is the blood bending. Which yeah. Oh, I love um, the blood bending. I, I love think all the evil it's it's incredibly like disturbing and like the episode introducing blonde bending is like easily the most unsettling episode of the entire show. Mm. Well, that that one is a riff on it is being the horror episode or or that you mentioned the the Halloween episode. The start of the episode they're telling ghost stories around a campfire, so they're they're obviously having fun with the, the kind of ooh this is creepy. Basically, blood bending uh, for people listening is is. Uh, a waterbender figures out that you can basically puppeteer people uh, by controlling, you know, the water in their blood. Uh, and it's very disconcerting. It's very creepy. And that that's the mm. most creepy and kind of scary the show ever got, I think. You can control anything or anyone. But to reach inside someone and control them? I don't know if I want that kind of power. The choice is not yours. The power exists. And it's your duty to use the gifts you've been given to win this war. Katara, they tried to wipe us out, our entire culture. Your mother. I know. Then you should understand what I'm talking about. We're the last waterbenders of the Southern Tribe. We have to fight these people whenever we can. Wherever they are with any means necessary. It's you. You're the one who's making people disappear during the full moons. They threw me in prison to rot, along with my brothers and sisters. They deserve the same. You must carry on my work. I won't. I won't use bloodbending, and I won't allow you to keep terrorizing this town. You should have learned the technique before you turned against me. It's impossible to fight your way out of my grip. I control every muscle, every vein in your body. Like, well, apart from Ko, the, the demon that steals people's faces, I wish I wish we had more Ko. Ko is great. Uh, um, I'll get on to that near the end. Because King Ewan was talking about this, saying, don't mention he comes back in a comic because... He is kind of mentioned in one of the later comics. Cowards. Uh, they should have brought him back in a... I, I would have I mean, taken... There Cora. is a story behind that. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm but, sure um, a studio head probably said this is too creepy. One of the best things about this show is like the world boom. It's got some of the best well-being that I've ever seen in like, any kind of like um, fictional media. It's like The world that the show takes place in is incredibly rich and detailed, and it feels like that the creators like really planned out what this world was like and each episode seems to add some new detail that fleshes it out and it never feels like they're just shoehorning something or throwing stuff out their asses. It just feels like everything just naturally adds to an amazing universe. Yeah. 
Yeah, they um, there's a real geography to everything. Like places they go to, you start to get a sense of uh, where everything is. I know there's an actual map. It's kind of like a Lord of the Rings map where you can actually see where everything is. But it's cool that they actually do seem to follow the logic of you know, like, oh, there's all these islands in the south, and there's, like, the mainland, and the mainland is the, the Earth Nation, uh, and there's, of course, the two, the North and the South mm. Poles, where the waterbenders live, and then you've got this kind of island nation is where the Fire Nation is, um, and the mountains were mm. where the, the air nomads live, you know, it's, it's, it's good. <laughs> yeah, so, and all the nations have their, have their different customs and, like, histories that make the world feel real and lived in, so I think part of that is because of the way each of the nations are themed after, like, different Asian cultures with the air nomads being um, Tibetan monks, the water tribes being themed after Inuits, the earth nation themed after like China and then the fire nation is very influenced by like feudal Japan. I, I know some people have mentioned they really enjoy this show because it's the one place where there are no white people. <laughs> <laughs> and then the movie is the opposite. <laughs> the movie casts a bunch of white people to play these <laughs> these, these different And cultures. it could have been worse. They, could have, they did cast, what's his name, C. McCartney as Zuko, but he was on tour so he couldn't make like martial arts. They got um, Zondog Millionaire guy to replace him. Oh, uh, Dev Patel. Yeah. yeah. To play Zuko. Yeah, well, that's, that's fine. <laughs> I think he's he's like yeah. notoriously silly in that film, isn't it? You're mentioning about the Asian cultures thing. I, I do find it hilarious that Aang is literally the Dalai Lama. Like it's it's so blatant. He looks like a Tibetan monk. He he was exiled from his home of Tibet, which was invaded by uh, an invading imperial force that wipes out a lot of that culture. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and the whole thing about the Avatar, basically, they reincarnate. So there's been Avatars throughout the centuries, and uh, and when the old Avatar dies, they're reborn in someone else, and that's literally what happens with the Dalai Lama. So I just I just find that very, it's very blatant. Yeah. Uh, they should they should pay I... they should pay copyrights to the Dalai Lama. Although I do say it is definitely a lot more tasteful than a couple of episodes back where in Thunderbirds where we have the hood, the evil mystic Malaysian man. Oh God, yeah, no, we're we're in better territory than that at least. I wanted to talk a bit more about like the animation style um, in general because it is the first kind of Western anime. Uh, because before this, there wasn't many, you know animes made from studios in America and, um, you know, like Cartoon Network and uh, Nickelodeon, apart from maybe Teen Titans and uh, that mm. Robo Monkey show, I forget what, what was that called again? Super Robo Monkey, Monkey Team Hyper yeah. Force Go. Yeah, there was that. And I guess maybe that um, 2003 Teen oh, Teenage yeah. Mutant Ninja Turtles show. There's probably a few other examples as well. Um, but I think Avatar was the first to kind of define, mm. you know, Western anime sort of style show. It's got an Asian influence, but it feels more like a Western show. The animation style, though, is very good. The only thing is, I would say, is that it's not big in Japan, which is interesting. You'd think Japan would kind of latch on. I don't think it's ever shown in Japan, and I'm not... Yeah, no, I could be wrong, but... Uh, apparently the, the, the creators discussed it on a Tumblr post I read somewhere. I can fish it out some uh, at some point. But basically they said, like, you know, 
we tried, we were big fans of J- Japanese animation. We tried to pitch it to Japan, and they just weren't interested, which is a shame, really. Mm. I think a lot of people in Japan would probably enjoy it, but you know, just didn't really catch. I mean, on. Fire Nation is is basically feudal Japan, so I do wonder <laughs> they might, yeah, might, might side eye it a little bit. Um, but it's also a bit like the British Empire as well, I think. Oh yeah, it's it's it definitely covers a lot of kind of imperial mm-hmm. um, themes and a lot of colonial themes as well, which is really cool. Um, again, this is the weird thing is is watching a show that's ostensibly for children, mm. uh, but it covers a lot of really like topical themes. I guess you know we're always talking about empire now and and you know the kind of impact. Uh, colonialism has had on various colonized peoples and on the colonizer as well. Uh, there's a lot of that, especially with um, the Fire Nation and the Earth Nation, because the Earth Nation, a lot of that's yeah. um, taken over by the Fire Nation. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, so yeah. it's interesting. And that reminds me of one of my favorite plot lines from Pink's second season when they go to the Earth Kingdom. They, the main characters go to the Earth Kingdom because they found like, a weakness that they can use to um, attack the Fire Nation. And they try and Earth King, but then turns out the Earth King, he's just the figurehead and the, the person in control is Long Feng, who's in charge of the Dai Li, the secret police. They, they want to keep any word of the war quiet outside the capital city because they, mm. they want to keep everyone calm. They don't want any panic. So, And that, that's kind of relevant with stuff like COVID and Trump deciding to just go on as normal ones. Yeah, ignoring the problem. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Just, there, 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 what was it? There is no war in Bastang say or something like that. And yeah. They, 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 like, repeat it over and over. <laughs> There's, like, mind control And then he's, like, on. hypnotizing people to do yeah. 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 Long Feng, voiced by Lex Luthor and, and Mr. Krabs. I don't want to hear your ridiculous plan. It is the strict policy of Ba Sing Se that the war not be mentioned within the walls. Constant news of an escalating war threw the citizens of Ba Sing Se into a state of panic. You have to believe me, they're firebenders. They won't stop until they win the war. Calm down. You're safe now. Our economy would be ruined. Our peaceful way of life, our traditions would disappear. There's no war in Ba Sing Se. What are you talking about? Where do you think all the refugees come from? You can't hide it. In silencing talk of conflict, Ba Sing Se remains a peaceful, orderly utopia. The last one on Earth. Another thing I want to discuss is the elements. They actually got a martial artist to um, work out how they did all the bending. So um, I think they had the idea that initially that the bending was just going to be universal. But this martial artist guy that they got, he came up with different martial arts styles that inspired the, the elements of the four nations. Yeah. That's why each nation has like the distinct kind of way of bending. Avatar's world, the powers of the four nations are based on four different forms of Chinese martial arts. The waterbenders, we more or less matched them to the, the style of Tai Chi. Tai Chi is less about strength and more about alignment, body structure, breath, and visualization. Katara uses water like a whip. She brings it in and then she shoots it out. The way they use the elements is always inventive. They come up with these really imaginative ways of using this magic, and it avoids the trap of, of them having the characters just like punch each other because obviously it's a kid's show. You can't have like fisty cups, right? Now it's a cool martial arts 
yeah. without resorting to punch and kicking. Yeah, just thinking about the styles with so with Airbending, it's it's very. I mean, one of the characters calls Ang Twinkle Toes because uh, he he jumps around a lot and there's a lot of you know kind of acrobatics almost. And then with the Fire Nation, it's it's more like a, like a dance and they they and a couple of the the moves are like the the dancing dragon, like the, it's it's kind of yeah very musical in the way they move. And then earth bending is very um, well solid. It's you know you you like stand. Sumo wrestling kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and, well, um, we and we do get even that. Of wrestling wrestling that. It's, it's professional wrestling. Mm. Yeah. The and there's a parody the of Boulder. Hulk Hogan. <laughs> the Boulder! <laughs> also, I think and that's one of my favourite quotes well, from Soccer, who's like the funniest character in the show, where, where uh, there's this guy who's playing a Fire Nation wrestler, and Soccer's just like, Boo! Go back to the Fire Nation! I don't know why, I just find that line hilarious. <laughs> the Boulder versus Fire Nation Man! Please to rise for Fire Nation National Anthem. Fire Lord, my flame burns for thee. Waterbending is quite like Tai Chi in a way. It's like a sort of slow yeah. moving kind of uh, elegant. So the most pacifist of the of mm. the ones, I think. Well, I yeah. suppose airbending as well. But yeah, like very. It's a lot more about calm and and kind of peaceful movement. Mm. Um, but obviously, as we mentioned with bloodbending, it can be very. Well, it's like water. Water can be very violent if if you know how to. Uh, control it. If you look up like really um, expert people that do Tai Chi and stuff, I mean, for the most part, it's just slow moving dance, but the people that practiced it and studied it for years can do really serious damage. Like, the people that like practice Tai Chi breaking planks and stuff like that, and they're so yeah. in control of, you know, their style that they can literally have power over another individual. It's really strange. It's a strange martial art. That's cool, though. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's really cool that we're even, you know, as you said, Rob, we, we could have just had everyone just punching each other and it's just all a big mess and uninteresting, but it's the fact that the animation is so detailed and it looks really nice to look at. They always find really creative ways to use this. Like, some of the things that I like, I think it was in the third season where Katara, she makes herself sweat so she can bend water from her sweat. And oh. it's something that I think only so somebody who plays, like, Tabletop role-playing games will be able to think of a solution that clever. <laughs> hmm. I always thought that. I, I, I was watching it, thinking, could you not? Yeah, could you not use a sweat or something like that? You know, like because there's all these times when she's trying to find like a water source to use, and I'm like, you know, what do you think about natural? That's the thing. Like, <laughs> isn't like most humans like they they consist mostly of water? So like, yeah. literally, yeah. you could just if you're a water bed, you could just lift and throw someone, surely. <laughs> Well, that's that's what bloodbending is. It is, is yeah, but only just... a, a select few can use that. Um, I think, yeah, I, I guess it's not something mm. you would think to do, uh, you know, because it's kind of creepy. It's a bit like with Magneto, <laughs> like if um, he realised that you know there's iron in people's blood, then they'd all be fucked, probably. Is <laughs> <laughs> it? You know what else? You know what I would do if I was a waterbender? I'd do wine bending. <laughs> I could just like, nice. I could like, <laughs> you know, just summon a whole big ocean one of wine. Thing, <laughs> one, one thing I really like is is when 
at one point they get a map all completely soaked and Sokka's freaking out, oh my god, you know, our map's ruined. And then Katara just takes the water out of the map. Which <laughs> oh, yeah. is amazing. I love stuff mm. like that. It's very cool. Yeah, and that actually takes um, perfectly onto a point I want to talk about, which is the way the show balances, like, the dramatic moments of the humour. Because the show is predominantly an action show, but it manages to perfectly balance, like, the more serious moments with the humour. Whenever the humour comes up, it is always perfectly timed. It never feels like they've just pulled out a joke for the sake of having a joke. And there's a couple of running gags. One of my favourites is um, there's this cabbage merchant who shows up from time to time, and whenever he shows up, his cabbage cart will always get destroyed, and he shouts, MY CABBAGES! And it's one of those things where he shows up enough times that it's still funny whenever he shows up, but they don't milk it and have him, like, every episode, his cart gets trashed and he's screaming about his cabbages getting ruined. No vegetables on the ferry! One cabbage slug could destroy the entire ecosystem of Bossing Sick! Security! Ah! One thing I did like in Korra was that apparently that cabbage guy had started like a cabbage corporation and even that somehow manages to get completely destroyed. <laughs> this guy can't catch a break. I think what worked and one thing that really made the show unique and, and kind of related to humor is, is so we have this villain. He starts out as the villain. I don't want to spoil stuff too much, but the character of Zuko, Prince Zuko of the Fire Nation. I think of Vegeta, Prince of All Saiyans. Um, <laughs> but Zuko uh, is hunting the Avatar because he's uh, he's been exiled from the Fire Nation after speaking out of turn was what happened with, with his father, the Fire Lord. Uh, so he was banished and told that he must um, return with the Avatar or, or don't return at all. You know, so he's an interesting character straight away. But they gave him his lovable uncle Iroh to come with him. And Iroh is wonderful and a genuinely fun character uh, to just hang out with Zuko. And he's always like, Zuko, you must drink tea. Iroh is great because... He starts out the show as this like comic relief character, and you you expect him just to be like that for the entire show. And then, as the show goes on, we find out he's like the deepest character in the, the entire show. We, you, he used to be like a general in the Fire Nation, only for his son to die in battle, and he ends up just throwing in the town off there and kind of just doing his own thing. Yeah, and he, we, we find he, out his like his mission is not is basically just to get Zuko to follow his own path rather than doing what his dad wants him to do. There is one moment that we do see Iroh from, you know, we have a little flashback, and, and Iroh is, he seems quite, you know, he's laughing about, like, burning down, like, the city and all of, you know, so he's, there was a time when he was obviously a very different person. But yeah, so the death of his son, I think, is what makes him realize that, you know, well, he, he doesn't want to do it anymore. He, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to, be in this war anymore and we should mention the war we i completely forgot to mention by the way ang um follows in the tradition of captain america and philip j fry uh in being a character who was frozen uh for a set time period in this case a hundred years uh in an iceberg um so anyway so the war has been going on for a hundred years and um you know so iroh as an old man is just kind of he's just sick of it and and wants it to end and and yeah he wants zuko he kind of starts 
treating as a son. You know, he wants Suko to escape it and, and, and no longer feel the need to prove himself to his father anymore. Um, and it's very sweet. Like, it's very, um, again, it's not something you'd expect. Sometimes life is like this dark tunnel. You can't always see the light at the end of the tunnel. But if you just keep moving, you will come to a better place. We also mentioned he's voiced by Mako. Uh, we mentioned Mako uh, before. We oh, yeah. um, talked about Mako in our Samurai Jack episodes. So we're making a point to make sure we mention Mako here. But Mako was a legendary voice mm. actor. He was Aku, the main villain yeah. in Samurai Jack, which we talked about in our first episodes. And of course, he plays Uncle Iroh. Who, and he sat, I think he passed away after the second season of Avatar. And I think what, one thing that was great was, while Iroh wasn't written out the show completely, when he did show up in the third season, initially he didn't speak at all, which yeah. I like, think was them paying respect to makeup. On, and then they got some, get the name of the voice actor, but the guy who's, who, I think he took over the role of a coup for the last season of Samurai Jack as well. So he, oh, okay. he basically does a really good Mako impression. Yeah. Just looking up that replacement voice actor for him, because he also did replace a coup. Uh, so it was Greg Baldwin, that was his name. Um, okay. Yeah, so Greg Baldwin. I want to mention, third season, it's definitely noticeable for uh, Iroh's absence throughout a lot of it. Yeah, I know, of course. Um, which, which is a shame. Isn't he in like, because, a prison um, cell and he's like, kind of... He's in prison and then he escapes and then we don't see him until... Zuko and him meet again, which is fine, but you know, you do you do miss him. He, he's definitely such a wonderful detail. Mm. Reappears uh, in Korra throughout well. the first. Yeah, he turns up, doesn't he? He's in like the spirit world or whatever. Yeah, um, which is cool because um, it means he's, he's, <laughs> he's made peace with the elements, as it were. I suppose. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think what else like uh, Mako was. Is it Mako and Marco? Mako, 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 Mako had a really long career. Um, he was in loads of stuff. Yeah, he was in Conan the Barbarian. Ah. <laughs> I know yeah, he was in the um, TMNT movie that came out in 2007 where he played Master Splinter. Oh, okay, nice. He was also in an episode of Doc yeah. Dodgers. Uh, there was a Doc Dodgers parody of something. Oh, I remember Doc yeah. Dodgers. Was it the humour? Even some of the episodes are more focused on the humour. So there's a whole episode which is kind of like a pastiche on Footloose, where Anne's teaching the Fire Nation kids how to dance. And even the penultimate episode of the show is basically the characters watching a comically bad play that recaps the show up to that point. Is food the only thing on your mind? Well, I'm trying to get it out of my mind and into my mouth. I'm starving. <laughs> Than this. I think one of the most notable ones is um, one that I'm going to introduce with a song. Secret Tunnel! <laughs> secret Tunnel! Through the mountain, secret, 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 secret tunnel! 
Love it. Love that song. Uh, yeah, so they meet a bunch of normal nomads. They meet them in the river, and he's like, hey, river people. And he's like, no, we're, we're just people. And he's like, aren't we all, brother? <laughs> It's really fun. Yeah, he's a he's a great uh, one-off comic comic character. This this nomad musician, uh, and they do and indeed go through a secret tunnel. With him. Soccer cannot cope with his chilled, laid-back attitude. Everything. One of my favorite lines is uh, and when he's telling them the story, and they go, "Wait, is this is this real or a legend?" And he's like, "Oh, it's a real legend." <laughs> Just com- completely unhelpful. <laughs> And also at the very end of the episode, when they come out the tunnel, he's like, Hey, I think that kid's the Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just completely oblivious to everything. But that's fine. Like, he's living his life. He's having a good time. <laughs> yeah, I forget the next couple lines, but uh, there it goes. Secret tunnel, secret tunnel. Rufio from Hook, uh, Dante Basco uh, voiced Zuko, and I just wanted to mention that because Zuko definitely has one of the most distinctive voices alongside Mako uh, as as Uncle Iroh, and so those two together make up some of the best scenes in the show. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, of course. All the characters in the show are great. They feel like real people and the voice acting really brings them alive and one of the things that carries the show is seeing these characters interact and play off of each other and another great point about the characters is there's a decent mix of male and female characters and the female characters are all just as capable as the male characters that they share the spotlight with so one of the great episodes uh, um, revolves around Katara and she comes into conflict with the Northern Water Tribes ancient traditions because they forbid um, women from fighting. They say, oh, women can't learn to fight. They can only learn to heal. And she basically is like, I'm not having that. I'm, I want to learn to fight. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to win this fight. I know. I don't care. You don't have to do this for me. I can find another teacher. I'm not doing it for you. Someone needs to slap some sense into that guy. So, you decided to show up? Aren't you going to fight? Go back to the healing huts with the other women where you belong. And yeah, so they, they do cover, I guess, real-life issues in that way, in the sense that, yeah, traditions hold women back in ways like that, which is great. It's great. Well, it's not great to see it, obviously, but it is great because it doesn't sugarcoat, you know, this fantasy world. It always drives me nuts whenever you see, like, a fantasy world and, and like, racism and sexism just don't exist. You know, they, they go, oh, you know, this is all... So, you know, it's a weirdly perfect world, even though, like, the story will still have a lot of conflict in it or whatever. And I'm like, well, you know, in real in our, in our world, sexism does exist. So maybe it is good that... Yeah. We show kids that in, in cartoons so that they, they know to prepare for that when they get older and realize that, yeah, you are going to come across people who basically, look, for God's sake, like horse riding, a thing that you'd think that like women would just do because they are, you know, when you think of jockeys, they're really small. Mm. Like, it's only recently that women have basically been allowed to do that. It's, yeah. So there's a lot of stuff like that to, to this day that is ridiculous that women haven't been involved. Um, but there you go. And yeah. so it's great It's great that that episode covers that. Even with the toys for Avatar, this creeps in because for some reason, Mattel, who made the toys for the show, didn't make any figures of the female characters. What? Wow. wow. 
<laughs> I don't know what I think their, their rationale for this was basically oh boys don't buy figures of female characters and it's like as somebody who was a kid a, a male kid like no I wanted all the characters I didn't just want the male characters I wanted the female characters and I mean that's probably why they stopped the toy line around the time I think it's the first or second season because the boys with line was marketed towards weren't interested because they couldn't get all the characters they wanted they couldn't get Katara they couldn't get Azula Let, let's talk about we've got to introduce Toph Yes. We haven't talked about Toph yet, and I want to talk about oh, Toph. On, 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 the subject of, on the subject of female characters. So Toph is the blind bandit, as we first meet her in the wrestling match we mentioned earlier. She's an earthbender, and the, the world's greatest earthbender, because she was born blind, and so she's had to learn to like, hear everything, and more specifically, feel the vibrations of the world around her, like, under her feet. So she became a really great earthbender just from being able to sense everything around her, even though she can't see. And she joins Aang's crew as his earthbending teacher, in the same way that Katara is, is Aang's waterbending teacher. She's a great character, uh, a lot of fun, and I'm really bad, because I really love all the blind jokes. Um. <laughs> oh, one of my favourite jokes in the show is a blind joke it's a set it up uh, this is an episode where Toph uses her blindness to scan people Katara like this and it calls the big falling out and um, Sokka comes up with this great idea let's write an apology letter to Katara and say it's from Toph dear Katara sorry for everything your friend Toph And then Angela's like, I don't know why we didn't think, we forgot Toph can't write. Yeah. And then Ang's like, hey, let's do one for Toph and say it from Katara. And Sokka's like, I think we'll have a similar issue. <laughs> I really like, um, yeah, when they, they visit this ancient library and Toph mentions like, oh, I'm, I'm not that interested. And they were like, and Katara's like, why aren't you interested in, in a library? And she was like, well, I've tried them, but yeah, books don't do it for me. <laughs> like, yeah. That's that's fair. <laughs> that library episode's amazing. Probably one of my favourites, actually. Mm -hmm. um, because of that knowledge spirit. Um, I forget his name, but is it like an owl? Like a preserver of knowledge? Oh, the owl. Yeah. It's a really yeah. cool character. They, they also reappear in Korra again. Um, but they protect knowledge, and they like you know the idea of learning and teaching and stuff like that. But they also treat it as something sacred and also dangerous because I think a firebender yeah, is it I General Zhao. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was no, no, it's Zhao. Zhao. Okay, so Zhao goes back there and basically gets the knowledge to help wipe out other benders. Um, and obviously, the, this owl is traumatized by this, so he's very cautious when letting you know, Aang and all that like get knowledge on how to defeat the Firebenders. And obviously, they go ahead and just well, do that. He's correctly cynical because yeah. Sokka and the gang are literally there to find out information on how to win the war in the exact same way that Zhao was there to learn how to win the war. So when they come to him saying, "Oh no, 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 we're we're not doing this to," you know find out weapons or strategies or anything like that they're lying to him so it's like he's completely right to be angry when he finds them later on like going through fire nation secrets you know they're trying to find the fire nation's evil and he's like oh but everyone thinks their war is just you betrayed my trust from the beginning you intended to misuse this knowledge for evil purposes you don't understand if anyone's evil it's the fire nation 
You saw what they did to your library. They're destructive and dangerous. We need this information. You think you're the first person to believe their war was justified? Countless others before you have come here seeking weapons or weaknesses or battle strategies. We had no choice. Please, we're just desperate to protect the people we love. And now, I am going to protect what I love. And that ties into one of the great things about the show, is that it's not black and white. It's like, it would have been yeah. very easy for them to be like, oh, Fire Nation are evil, everyone else is good. But it doesn't do that. It shows there's a nuance to it. And while the Fire Lord is like a maniacal dictator, not everyone in the Fire Nation is like that. There's good people in the Fire Nation. Um... One of my favourite episodes is um, Sokka's Master, where Sokka learns the art of sword fighting from a, um old veteran of sword fighting from the Fire Nation. Of course, I knew from the beginning that Sokka was Water Tribe. You might want to think of a better Fire Nation cover name. Try Lee. There's a million Lees. But why would you agree to train someone from the Water Tribe? The way of the sword doesn't belong to any one nation. Knowledge of the arts belongs to us all. Saka, you must continue your training on your own. If you stay on this path, I know that one day you will become an even greater master than I am. And also, of course, you mentioned like, how the Earth Kingdom has a lot of problems with the king being a figurehead and the secret police basically um, ruling everything. Even um, we should also mention Azula. You mentioned her a little earlier, but Azula is, is Zuko's sister and the princess of the Fire Nation. And she's nuts. She's crazy. Um, she's evil. She's like a Caligula figure where, well, she was a child prodigy. She was a master a firebender from a very young age. And, um, and from that, that she's, become incredibly, she's yeah, become incredibly arrogant. She's basically being nothing but a machine, like a soldier. So therefore, she's kind of like, yeah. has like no kind of compassion or empathy. So she's always like tormenting Zuko, and as a result, her her mother was a bit wary of her. So so basically, she got believing her mom thought she was a monster. Yeah, and that's why I think even Azula, who's throughout the show portrayed as really vile and really awful, even towards the end, you start to feel sorry for her because yeah, she's incredibly insecure about what her mother, what she thought her mother thought of her. And when her friends start to, also Azula has these awesome two girlfriends that hang out with her, Mei and Ty Lee. Oh, um, Ty Lee. They're great. Yeah. yeah, they're really fun. But Again, going to try and avoid spoilers, but there's a point basically where those two characters aren't around anymore, and Azula's feeling quite justifiably incredibly alone and much and incredibly paranoid that everyone hates her and that everyone's turning against her. And just, you know, re-watching the ending, I, I did feel sorry for I her. And I was like, oh, yeah, she, she starts banishing everyone. <laughs> She's like, um, she finds a a pip in, in some in cherries and, and she's like I could have choked on this pit you're banished you know, she's just she starts losing it which is a shame you know well, it's not a shame it's, it's good that that happens because she was incredibly dangerous before but no it is it is sad and I do feel sorry for her um, and there's this one episode where they go to the beach and um, it's the mm. only episode because they're trying to act like actual teenagers, but they just can't do it. They play volleyball, and then um, they win, and Azula's just like, Ha! We beat you! And your <laughs> family like will feel shame for generations. 
<laughs> they're playing volleyball. It was a bit like yeah, a no, I really like that episode. No. There's the party bit. Yeah, right? and they're all like teenagers. And Zula asks out someone, or someone asks out her, and she's like, "Yes, and together we can rule the world." And then like he's just Zula. like, uh, <laughs> "Dude, I'm just gonna leave now." Uh, it's just like, oh my god, it's yeah. so funny. She's. So, yeah. It turns out she's incredibly socially awkward. Mm. Like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You and I will be the strongest couple in the entire world. We will dominate the Earth! Ah, uh, I gotta go. Show down some of our favourite episodes because I've got a couple of episodes yeah. that I want to discuss. The first one I want to talk about is The Storm, which is an episode from Season 1, or I think as a... From now I'm going to use the terms that the show uses, which is book one. So this is the first episode that really goes into detail on both Anne and Zuko's backstories and kind of like known as they're connected more, more than they appear. Because up until this point, Zuko's been just shown as like being like the bad guy. So we, we see the circumstances that led Anne and to be in the iceberg. So he felt isolated due to him being appointed as the Avatar and he ran away. And because of that, he blames himself for everything that happens in his wake. Uh, but at the same time, we can't blame him for doing this, as he was just a child who was suddenly given responsibility he wasn't prepared for. Yeah. And tangentially, as we learn Zuko's backstory is out, he was brought up to believe that like, the Fire Nation was good and just. And we see how well-meaning he was, because he was in this war meeting, and um, I've been there talking about potentially um, like sending like um, untrained soldiers in as like human shields, and Zuko outraged at this. He says, we can't do this, these are people too. And then his father is so, like, angry at him for doing this. He challenges him to, like, a Agni Kai, which is like a Fire Nation duel. And Zuko refuses to fight his father. So his father just scars his face. And it's... Yeah. And, and then banishes Zuko and says, you can't come back until you bring me the Avatar. Yeah. I really like the developments of Zuko's appearance because he starts off very villain, scary looking because he has the scar on his face and he has his hair tied back uh, in, a, in a ponytail and otherwise he's completely shaved his hair. But as he realizes that he can be independent from his father, he starts to grow his hair and he starts to look more like a teenager. He looks more human as it as it goes along and, and the scar is no longer used as like this oh look, he has a scary scar. It's more like, no, this is a genuinely horrible thing that his father did to him. Yeah. Yeah, and um, thinking, and, yeah, and it's funny because he's like Azura, he's a bit socially awkward because when he runs away to join the Avatar, he's kind of like practicing what he should say to them to oh, ask him for so it. And he's, he's like, he, he has no idea how to kind of talk to them. So he's, he's kind of like stammering. He's like, okay, so I was trying to hunt you down. Sorry about that. <laughs> that but I'm, I'm good now. So I want to let me join you. And he's just like, oh, no, that's not going to work. Hello, Zuko here. But I guess you probably already know me, sort of. Uh, so, the thing is, I have a lot of firebending experience, and I'm considered to be pretty good at it. Well, you've seen me, you know, when I was attacking you. Uh, yeah, I guess I should apologize for that. But, but anyway, I'm good now. I mean, I thought I was good before, but now I realize I was bad. But anyway, I think it's time I joined your group and taught the Avatar firebending. Well, what's your answer? Yeah, that's what I'd say too. Uh, 
and and yeah. fair enough that he feels that because yeah, he has spent the last year hunting them. And doesn't doesn't one of them like straight up say like you burnt my village and he's just like yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Suki, yeah, yeah she's just like, yeah, remember you burned my village down, and he's like, oh, yeah, sorry. I'm surprised, I'm surprised <laughs> we haven't brought up this up yet, it's the best quote in the whole show, is the bit when, uh, quote about the moon. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, this, this is oh, a spoiler for, the, spoiler for the next minute, so we're going to mention this quickly, so if you don't want to hear this, then, then cut to the next, like, well, next minute or so, because we'll say this quickly, but yeah, basically, uh, Sokka's girlfriend, Yue, that he meets at the end of book one turns into the moon because of weird spirit world shenanigans and when he tells Zuko this you didn't leave behind anyone you cared about well I did have a girlfriend May that gloomy girl who sighs a lot yeah everyone in the Fire Nation thinks I'm a traitor I couldn't drag her into it my first girlfriend turned into the moon that's rough, buddy. One of my absolute favorite, probably made my second favorite episode of the entire show, which is um, called Zuko Alone, which is an almost Western-inspired episode which features Zuko, currently a fugitive, and at this point he said to his uncle, I want to go my own way. Yeah. So he ends up in this desolate Earth Nation town that's ruled by Earth Kingdom soldiers using their position to bully the people living there. And Zuko yeah. ends up um, befriending a family who lives there, and... During this, we are intercutting with flashbacks to Zuko's childhood that um, lead up to his mother disappearing. Mm. And I think this is the first episode where Zuko uh, really begins to see like, the effects that the Fire Nation has had on the rest of the world. And at the end of the episode, he reveals himself as a prince of the Fire Nation to rescue the boy he befriended from the soldiers. And mm. as soon as he does, he, he expects, because it's a show, he expects all the villagers to be like, Oh, it's okay, we don't care. But no, they shun him. And the boy he, be he befriended earlier, he now doesn't want anything to do with Zuko. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he yeah. shouts that he ha that he hates him. And yeah, again, probably quite rightly, because he's the the prince of the Fire Nation that's ruined everyone's lives. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, also... I mentioned this movie before um, when we discussed X-Men, but Zuko Alone is also based on the Western Shane. Uh, so everyone watch Shane, because Shane just inspired every Western copy ever. Um, the idea of like a, a grizzled old warrior uh, turning up in a town and befriending a young boy who's like completely starry-eyed about the idea of becoming a warrior and the warrior being like, no, don't do this, it's bad. Um, that's, that's Shane. Everyone watch Shane. <laughs> anyway. Hey! You throwing eggs at us, stranger? No. You see who did throw it? No. That's your favorite word? No. Egg had to come from somewhere. Maybe a chicken flew over. <laughs> Thanks for your contribution. The army appreciates your support. You better leave town. Penalty for staying's a lot steeper than you can afford, stranger. Trust me. Those soldiers are supposed to protect us from the Fire Nation, but they're just a bunch of thugs. Thanks for not ratting me out. I'll take you to my house and feed your ostrich horse for you. Come on, I owe you. Uh, the next one I want to talk about is um, 
Tales of Barsing Say, which is like um, more yes. like a far which is one of my favorites. Anthology episode, which it has like these short stories of main characters just exploring the Earth Kingdom capital of Barsing Say. These range from like these more light-hearted comical stories. Like we've got Anne, he's make, he's making a zoo for escaped animals while he's looking for Arthur, his sky bison. And then soccer ends up accidentally finding himself in a haiku competition. Oh and then you've got like more heartfelt emotional stories, with the big one being the tale of Iroh. So the entire thing is Iroh going around, um, like helping people. He's kind of like gathering supplies for like a picnic. And this leads mm. up to like the most heartbreaking moment in the entire show. Yeah. And, um, yeah. It, yeah. Another musical moment as well. With, yeah. Can I, should I sing it, or is that really... Yeah, that you, you, you go. <laughs> go for it. Well, well you. I, we, should, we should say, so the reason why this song is nice is that it's, um, Iroh goes up to the top of a hill, and he builds a little shrine of a picture of his son, who we mentioned uh, died in battle. So it's just a really, really lovely little scene where he sings, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing it. I'm, I'm doing this, guys. You can't stop me. Um, but it's, uh... Leaves from the vine falling so slow Like fragile tiny shells drifting in the foam Little soldier boy, come marching home Brave little soldier boy, comes marching home There we go! <laughs> It's really yeah. sweet. I was trying um, to start, but it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it comes out of nowhere, that scene. It's like we, we've mentioned before that, um, or they'd mentioned before in the show that his son had died, but, it, you know, after, after all of the, this fun little scene of Iroh just running around helping people and being silly, and then it ends with this really touching little little song that he sings, and it, it's lovely. Um, Beautiful thing is, I also really like the song at the start of the Iroh story as well. There's this boy who's crying, and um, Iroh just comes up to him and sings in the song, in kind of like more of a cheery yeah, kind of it's way. More, and then at the very it's more, end, it's more jolly. Yeah, it's like, he's like, yeah, and then at the very end, he's crying while singing it as a tribute to his son. Yeah, it's really sweet. Happy birthday, my son. Only I could have helped you. Leaves from the vine falling so slow like fragile tiny shells drifting in the foam. Little soldier come marching home. Brave soldier boy Comes marching home. I also really like um, two things in that episode because it's one of my favorite episodes. Uh, first off, yeah, soccer being in a haiku competition, but uh, at the very end, he accidentally has one extra syllable, and then the haiku police appear, <laughs> kind of similar to the <laughs> vegan police in Scott Pilgrim, and they're like, "Yeah, one syllable too many, buddy," and they throw throw him out of the building. <laughs> Squish, squash, sling that slang. I'm always right back at you. Like my boomerang. <laughs> That's right, I'm Sokka. It's pronounced with an Akka. 
Young ladies, I rocked ya! That's one too many syllables there, bub. Poetry. But I also really like the Katara and Toph episode, because again, it's one of the few moments where we see Toph vulnerable, because, well, her name Toph, she is Toph. She's annoyed at the fact that the world kind of always saw her as weak and helpless because she was blind, so she's always been quite you know, forceful in her personality. Here we have this fun little scene where Katara and her go to a spa and they get, like, their makeup done and stuff. And it's really <laughs> sweet. And Toph is, you know, walking along. She's happy about how she looks, despite, obviously, she doesn't know what she looks like. But um, it's really sweet. And then some girls, like, uh, bully Toph, being like, oh, that makeup's nice for a clown. And it's really, you know, Toph is upset. Like, she's never had to worry about how she's looked before, or she's never really cared. This is the first time that she does care, and she's made fun of it f for. Anyway, they drop those, those bullying girls into a river, so that's pretty cool. And then cause a tidal wave to, like, uh, splash them away. <laughs> um, but then it's really sweet, because then Katara does tell Toph that she does look pretty. Uh, although, as Toph then says, I would return a compliment, but I can't. Because I don't, I don't know what you look like. <laughs> Next one I want to discuss is one called um, the Avatar and the Firelord, which it goes into the history of Avatar Roku, who was the Avatar before Aang, and his history and friendship with Firelord Sozin, who's the one who start, ends up starting the Royal War. And it, we've got two different stories here, because um, it's framed through both Roku showing and his past life and then we've got Zuko reading up like memoirs written by his great grandfather and we get to see how Roku and Sozin were like really close friends and then we see how it all fell apart because Sozin decided he wanted to start invading other nations and one of the reasons I love this episode so much is it's got a lot of storytelling potential in this one episode that could have like feel like a whole series on its own. Yeah. We also get a great reveal at the end of the episode where Zuko learns that while Sozin, the fire, old Fire Lord, is his great-grandfather, he has another great-grandfather on his mother's side who is Avatar Roku, which mm. is something that further pushes it towards joining the Avatar. Yeah, yeah. well, his, his, he's always been very family-oriented. You know, like, a lot of Zuko's belief in honour is to do, you know, with, like, honour to his family and doing right by his father's honour. Mm. But I think that being revealed to him is important because it, it makes him realize that actually he doesn't need to feel this allegiance to a father that is really, you know, really horrible to him. So, you know, learning that he's also family members with essentially the enemy, I think is important. It's an important moment for him to, to kind of grasp that things aren't as simple is just, oh, you side with your family because they're your family. You know, like, yeah. it's more, there's more to it than that. There's a lot of episodes. I want to quickly mention The Painted Lady, just because um, it oh, encourages that's children That's one of my favourite uh, do... characters in it. It's got this, um... Oh, yeah. It's oh, got this guy who, who, um... He swaps hats and pretends he's, like, three identical twin brothers, but... <laughs> Yeah, he literally so... changes hats right in front of them, and, and he just decides he's a different person. Yeah. I love that character <laughs> so much. I used him in a D&D &D game I ran, and I, I just nice. threw him in. And... 
<laughs> but um, basically, the Painted Lady encourages children to uh, engage in eco-terrorism, and uh, I think that is a wonderful message to teach children. Um, it's Qatar. Yeah. Basically, this this river is polluted by a factory, so Katara goes out and blows up the uh, the factory, and they get rid of the Fire Nation soldiers. Oh, it's it's great. Katara is really cool whenever she does that. She does that. She also breaks. Uh, uh, she destroys a prison and breaks all the prisoners free. Uh, yeah, Katara's cool. Yeah. <laughs> whenever she does stuff like that, she's cool. Mm. She should have killed that guy though. Um, basically, one of her big things is that her mother was killed in a Fire Nation raid, and. Uh, uh, Zuko helps Katara find the man who killed their mother. I'm always annoyed that, uh, kind of spoilers, but I, I'm always annoyed that she doesn't kill him. It's very like, ugh. Revenge isn't good, don't do revenge, kids, but at the same time, eh. <laughs> and there's um, two more episodes I want to discuss. First one is The Day of Black Sun, which is the mid-season finale of season three. And some of the show has been building up to since book two when they learnt of an eclipse that prevents the firebenders from using their firebending by blocking out the sun. And ever since then, the main characters have been preparing to invade the Fire Nation during this eclipse. This episode does a great job of making this invasion feel like a big event, as we get to see characters from throughout the show come back to assist with the invasion. So we get, like, the Swamp Benders, we get Haru, mm. who's, like, an Earthbender that um, Katara has kind of, like, a brief thing with. And there's lots of, like, quiet moments of the characters reflecting before the invasion, like Sokka, he plans to give this like big speech and he fumbles. Rather than like keep it simple, he decides to tell the entire story of the show so far <laughs> up to that point. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, at the time it's a comic moment. And then before that, Z- um, Sokka's like, oh, I'm not sure if I'm up to this. I had this big moment and I blew it. And they've got Anne kind of like reflecting as well. And, and then as the invasion starts, everything goes wrong as the Fire Nation were already aware that it's going to happen. And mm. it, this is also the big turning point of Zuko's character because he finally stands up to his father and tells him that he's done with Ozai and he's going to be leaving to help the Avatar. And one great part was Ozai was like, oh, why don't you fight me yourself, Zuko? And Zuko says, oh, it, that's not my destiny. The Avatar's destiny is to defeat you. That's not my path. After I leave here today, I'm going to free Uncle Iroh from his prison, and I'm going to beg for his forgiveness. He's the one who's been a real father to me. Oh, that's just beautiful. Maybe he can pass down to you the ways of tea and failure. But I've come to an even more important decision. I'm going to join the Avatar, and I'm going to help him defeat you. Really? Since you're a full-blown traitor now and you want me gone, why wait? I'm powerless. You've got your swords. Why don't you just do it now? Because I know my own destiny. Taking you down is the Avatar's destiny. Goodbye. Uh, the last episode I want to talk about is um, my favourite episode, which is the four-part finale. Mm. So it's in this comic, a bit of a cop-out, it's called The Last Episode, my favourite, but it's just one of the most satisfying conclusions to a TV show that I've ever seen. And like, so is in this comic, something that's built up from book one as some catastrophic event that will give the Fire Nation like unspeakable power and we finally get to see it and Ozai is planning to use this comet's power to like literally he literally just wants to burn down the entire world and kind of like be the ruler of, of everything yeah. and Anne has a big moral dilemma because he's been raised by monks who have 
taught him that all life is sacred and he should never take a life. And then everyone's like, oh, Ozai is bad, you've got to kill him. And he really struggles with that. And I like that he does defeat the Fire Lord, not by killing him, but removing his ability to bend to kind of taking his power away. As well as this, we learn about the Society of the White Lotus, which is a secret society made up of characters we met in previous episodes, including Iroh. We also get, like, um, Boomy, um, Ang's old friend from childhood, and um, the old fire, um, the water-bending teacher, Sokka's sword-masting teacher, and the fire-bending teacher who taught Ang for one episode. We get this amazing final battle that's fought on, like, different fronts. We've got the White Lotus retaking Barsing Say, which is great for Iroh, because Iroh helped to conquer it back in the day, and now he's back to reclaim it from the Fire Nation. We've got Sokka, Suki, and Toph taking on the Fire Nation's Zeppelin fleet, and then as well Anne's fighting the Fire Lord, Zuko and Katara take down Zuko as a range sister Azula, and then, to top all, it all off, it's really rewarding to see the world at peace after the Fire Lord has been defeated, and all the plot points are wrapped up aside from Zuko's mother. We never know what happened to her. Yeah, that is weird. Like, they, they leave it on that note where Zuko speaks to Ozai and says, where, where is my mother? But they, they never include that, which is very bizarre. You'd have thought they'd have made yeah, like, gonna... maybe TV movie or something afterwards. They were going to at one point. Season, they had the story and they want, they pitched it to Nickelodeon, but Nickelodeon was to make season two of Korra a full season or something like that. And right. so they rejected it in favour of Korra. So they just did the story as a comic book. And it's yeah. a really heartbreaking and bittersweet story. And it's, I think the only one of the comics I think is really essential because most of the comics, aside from the Lost Adventures comics, which are kind of like short stories set around the series, but yeah, the, other than that and the search, all the other comics are kind of like linking Avatar to Korra. Mm. But also, right. I think what I'm reflecting about search is it, it, we get to see, see the return of the face-stealing demon and then he <laughs> finds out he has a sibling who can change people's faces. Okay, well that's less interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted Cole to come back and just steal someone's face. <laughs> like, it's just, it annoyed me when, like, Ko at the end of his conversation with Aang is like, we'll meet again. Then they never meet again. And I'm like, oh, okay. I don't even think Korra meets Ko. <laughs> you want to briefly talk about Korra? Yeah, why not? Do we have to? <laughs> I, well, I mean, I like it. <laughs> it's just like, I like the steampunk element of it. I like I think the animation looks much better in this one. Um, I do understand where Ewan's coming from. The writing's not as good in the show. Um, uh, I found, I think it's more serialised, but not in the yeah. way... Because Avatar was serialised, but each episode at the beginning, middle and end, and there were time for episodes to just have kind of like random tangents. Like we've got like fun episodes, like the secret tunnel episode, and like loose episodes, and like, um, like Sokka learning how to sword fights and, and stuff like that. Whereas um, with Korra, everything's like one long story, but it feels like for most of the episode, nothing happens. Yeah. And then at the very end, it starts to heat up, and then the episode ends. Yeah. I also think that okay. it, it catered massively towards the internet sort of like shipping culture that was going on at the time, because there's just <laughs> a lot of love triangles that's kind of introduced oh, yeah. very mm -hmm. quickly as well. Korra, Korra, Sammy. Yeah, Avatar did have the romance, 
but it's it was true. a backdrop to the larger yeah. story. Whereas Aura, we've got whole episodes dedicated to this. In the book, first two scenes, we've got like whole episodes and subplots so kept dedicated to just like romance stuff, and it just goes nowhere. It adds nothing. Like when it's all said and done, like it doesn't really change the way the characters are. Yeah, it feels very fan fictiony, I guess. Um, and a lot of fan fiction is good, but the sort of like, I feel like it's the sort of writing you could only get in a fan fiction, where there's something it's a love triangle, and it's all kind of quick. There's no character development. Yeah, it just feels less focused than that stuff. Because um, Avatar had the two main storylines, which are Anne and Zuko. Yeah. And while the other characters had their own arcs, the show was always focused on Anne's story and Zuko's story. Then in Korra, we have like, all these different side plots going on, so we're, we're jumping around a lot more. It just feels a bit more, bit messier. Yeah, I it's agree. Boring. Well, <laughs> it's boring. It's and, boring and it's weirdly conservative. I, uh, yeah, I hate that's it. what ticked you it's... off the most, wasn't it? It was just the fact yeah, that... Yeah, I... Look, I'm, I'm going to s- stress this very quickly. I like the character of Korra. And I wish she had a better show. Mm. <laughs> because the, the whole problem was is that they, they set out to comment on various political ideologies. It's really blatantly done, with the, the main villains of the first book being called the Equalists. Uh, and they have a big Rising Sun uh, poster. Um, the whole thing is just a big riff on how... Uh, communism is bad, folks. And um, but the problem is, is that it's not even a good criticism of communism. The whole thing is just, oh, it turns out that he's actually like a a bender himself. Basically, the equalists, you know, they're they're like a group that are fighting for non-benders against benders. But then it turns out that the bad guy was a bender all along. So why did we even bother with any of this? You know, mm-hmm. oh, it's just nonsense. They did try and kind of show that the equalists. Did have a point because we did do see there's a lot of like unrest in and division between benders and non-benders, but they could have done a better job with it. Well, there's one thing. No, like, there's a whole thing. Then putting a task force to get rid of the and we do get was it um, Tenzin and Sun. He's he's more he's kind of like this is just going to make things worse. Why are you doing this task force? And I think they if they played it a bit more like maybe equalists do have a point. It could have been so much better. I mean, I still like Cora, but I do get. I am very wary. I think 
I really need to stress to, pe to people, um, Rob and James will remember, after Avatar, uh, after Last Airbender, I was so excited to start Legend of Korra. Mm. Like, I was so enthusiastic. Uh, because I wanted, I wanted more Avatar stuff. I was really into it. But after Korra and my reaction to it, I'm now very wary of anything Avatar related that's not just the original show. I'd like to be proven well wrong, you know, the, if it's good, it's good. As well as this, what no one has asked for, Netflix are doing a live action show, which originally did have the showrunners attached, but they had creative differences, so they jumped ship. So I'm kind of wary about that, considering how the movie went. Yeah, I wonder if they'll cast white people to play Inukuets oh. again or something, you know. They won't be good. <laughs> the thing with the movie is, I'd say it's worth watching at least once, if you've seen the show, just to see how much they got wrong. Because hmm. they yeah. somehow got everything wrong. It looks so miserable. The Fire Nation has declared war. Avatar content. In, I'm in two minds, but I'm optimistic. My one big worry is if this is being made because the showrunners generally have stories they're passionate want to tell, or if they're just pumping out content for the sake of Nickelodeon having a big franchise. Because obviously Disney has Star Wars and the MCU, yeah. and Nickelodeon wants slash needs a franchise of that caliber to compete with that. And Avatar is probably the closest thing they have to that, and it's a safer bet to do something that's already proven to be a success than try and make a new property that may or may not be a success. But at the same time, the universe of Avatar is incredibly rich and vast and so ripe for expansion and experimentation. So there are like loads of possibilities that I can do and so many directions. Okay, I'm so excited to see what they come up with. They're talking about doing a theatrical animated film. My prediction is that it's going to be the Zuko's mother storyline, either an adaptation of the comic or they're just going to do a new version of that story. Okay. Yeah. That could be good. Do we want to... Probably won't be, but we can hope. I was just going to say, if we were to like choose an element that we would bend with, what would you pick? Either air or fire, possibly. Okay. No, not air. Yeah, air or fire would probably be where I'd be. Interesting. What, why fire? Just because I think I can be very kind of passionate, yeah. and I think that that's where a lot of the, uh, their power comes from, like kind of like passion. As well as like a ray rage, which is where Zuka got his from originally. Although I'm not, not quite. And the thing, also, I'm quite can be quite chilled out. Although if you look at my social media, that's probably not the vibe yet. But I'm I'm in person. I'm quite chill and relaxed yeah. about a lot of stuff. I'm very kind of go with the flow with a lot of things. I think water. Um... I'm trying to think what the kind of characteristics of waterbending are. I guess I would be like evil waterbender, um, like Hammer, the the witch lady blood we mentioned bender. who did the blood. I I would just do lots of bloodbending and destroy forests and just take over the world that way. No, um, in all seriousness, I do like waterbending. I I like water. I like being around water. <laughs> it's a very strange thing to say, but I do like it and. 
Yeah, um, I'd like to go around surfing on like an ice block that I create and just around on, on water like that. There's, there's a lot of cool, and you can go underwater as well. I love it when they create like an air bubble and they walk like underwater. Oh yeah, that, that's, that's so that's cool. Really cool. Yeah, so I'd, I'd be oh, all about that. Uh, yeah, water for me, and I want you to guess why. Oh. Because of the penguins. You can animate it. Oh, shit, okay, I didn't expect that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was an actual good reason for me to waterbend. <laughs> I could animate with it, actually, that'd be really cool. Um, yeah. What, what did you say, Ewan, actually, what were your guess? No, I didn't, I didn't say anything, so oh. no, just just say. I, I can't think. Yeah, no, penguins, because I, I, I wouldn't have any adventures or anything like that. I'd just sit in Antarctica. Last question I want to ask you, favourite episode and favourite character? Iroh, I think, the character. Um, I just think he's the most complex character. He uh, represents everything that's kind of good in the Avatar universe, like this idea of redemption and forgiveness and loving people, you know, above all. Uh, as opposed to, you know, like, putting things like War Matters first. Um, you know, the love he has for Zuko throughout the series is really, really um, well done. And uh, in general, he's just, like, the perfect kind of fatherly figure. My favourite episode, though, might be the last episode of Season 1. Um, with, you know, we mentioned the moon, the, you know, the spirit world hijinks and stuff like that. But, you know, that really comes out There's a big water god and stuff. Spoilers, but yeah, that's really cool. I'm going to say Azula, uh, because I, I went into it. I remembered, like, watching it the first time, thinking, oh, you know, she's fairly redeemable. Then upon rewatch, I don't know, I was thinking, actually, she is quite complex and she's interesting. And on that note, uh, I'm going to say my favourite episode is actually The Beach where Zuko, Mei, Tai Li, and Azula are all um, acting like teenagers, basically, as we mentioned, playing volleyball, going to a party, and just being incredibly socially awkward. It's really fun to see, especially Azula, in that situation, where she is just completely out of her depth for once. It's really nice to see, and again, it's a good way to humanize your characters, is just or, or humanize your villains, to just give them little stories like that. They're really good. Yeah. Anyway. I was expecting you to say Secret Tunnel, actually. No, well, I, I knew that was one of your favourites, so I was conscious you might you might mention Secret Tunnel. Uh, no, if I was going to choose my real favourite episode, I would, of course, say The Great Divide, the best episode of Avatar, and one that everyone should rewatch every day, because it's, it's the best oh, the one. one. that most people consider the worst episode. <laughs> It is the best episode, and everyone should watch it every day. <laughs> anyway, okay, Rob, so what is your favourite episode? Uh, so, first favourite character, I've mentioned it a couple of times, but it's Zuko, I just think, his arc's like, more interesting than Aang's. He's kind of like the de facto, he's kind of the de facto second protagonist. And mm -hmm. my favourite episode is um, Sozin's comment, just because of the way it just pretty much perfectly wraps everything up. Much like we did with the last episode, we reached out on social media, and asked um, for people's favourite... Um, Avatar episodes, characters, and moments. First up, we've got Shelby Lewis, who says, who says she just loves all of it, but her favourite moments are soccer drinking cactus juice. It's a giant mushroom. Maybe it's friendly! Let's just keep moving. I hope Aang's okay. Friendly mushroom! Mushy giant friend! And an hallucinating moment after having a sword fight. 
And then we've got David Pro, who initially said, The Cabbage Merchant is the backbone of the show. Let's not get twisted. But then they gave us an actual serious answer, which is um, their favourite character being Iroh. Their favourite moments being um, Zuko apologising to Iroh, and Iroh instantly embracing him. Uncle, I know you must have mixed feelings about seeing me. But I want you to know, I am so, so sorry, Uncle. I am so sorry and ashamed of what I did. I don't know how I can ever make it up to you, but I... How can you forgive me so easily? I thought you would be furious with me. I was never angry with you. I was sad because I was afraid you lost your way. And his favourite episode is The Storm because he loves the way it humanises Zuko and shows that Aang are both really just kids who have a messed up amount of pressure in different ways. And it also shows that Zuko is, is good-natured, but he's just misguided by an abusive father, which is kind of what we spoke about when we discussed that episode earlier. I think that's yeah, it. So, yeah. Yeah. thank you right. for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this episode... You can find all of our previous episodes on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And like we said at the start, we have a new theme tune. But as well as that, we finally have a website which you can go to, which is bluecast.com. You can find all of our previous episodes on there as well. And you can follow us on social media. We are at BluecastPod on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And we've recently started doing more social media engagements. So be sure to keep an eye out for when we do those. So you can potentially get a shout out in our future episodes. Another way you can get a shout out is if you email us at our email address, which is bluecast.outlook.com. So you can send us like feedback or suggestions for future episodes. And... Please also leave a rating and review on Apple Podcast, and again, we'll shout, give you a shout out, and also share the podcast around, recommend it to family and friends who you think might be interested. And something I forgot to mention last time, we actually have got our first Apple Podcast review, which came from Molly Evans 71 who said she loves our Spire episode, and that we have great content. And if you do leave a review, you can make it as short and snappy as that, or you can leave us a long essay about how much you enjoy the podcast. Please comment. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. And James, can you reveal to our listeners um, what our topic is going to be for our next episode? It's between ten and eight. It is nine, the film. Um, So this is a film that I love, uh, sincerely. It's an animated film, a dark fantasy, steampunk, post-apocalyptic slash sci-fi movie. Um, that is produced by Tim Burton, um, and it's very weird, it's very obscure. You probably will never get an animated film like this ever again. Technically it's a children's film, but I think it's since been remarketed as an adult movie because of just how dark it is. So we'll dive into that next time, so be excited. <laughs> Until then, the blue cost bids you farewell. Yeah, take care guys. Bye. Bye. Avatar toys are now at Burger King. You can collect all eight Avatar toys. Each one comes with an exclusive Avatar trading card. There's one in every kid's meal, and you can choose a wise treat like applesauce. Have it your way with Avatar toys at Burger King now.